Hey, everyone, and welcome to the All It Takes a Goal podcast, the best place in the entire world, including all of Canada, to learn how to build new thoughts, new actions, and new results. I'm your host, John Acuff, and today I'm joined by Maria Gagliano. Who's that? I'm so glad you asked. Maria is actually the editor who edited my book, Do Over. So years and years and years ago, um, I got a two-book contract with Penguin Random House out of New York. And Maria was the editor that I first worked with. And she is amazing. So she ended up going off on her own a couple years after we started working together. And I've loved following the work she's doing. She helps authors all over the place right now. She's absolutely brilliant. And so I thought it'd be fun to talk to her about what does it take to write a book? What does it take to build a publishing career? What does it take to get attention from publishers? What has she seen in the industry? There's so many fun places we can take this conversation because she's brilliant. She also edited Simon Sinek's book, Leaders Eat Last. Maybe you've heard of Simon Sinek of um, Start With Why fame. She edited Girl Boss by Sophie Amorosa. She's done a million things. She's really funny, really cool, really kind, and really, really smart. So today we're going to talk to Maria. But first, a quick update, quick message from the sponsor of today's episode. Quick question. What if you could guarantee the success of your goals? No, seriously. The book you want to write? Guaranteed. The business you want to start? Guaranteed. The exercise plan you want to stick with? Guaranteed. What if no goal was off limits? It's possible with the Guaranteed Goals community. The Guaranteed Goals community is my first ever membership program where you'll find the courage, connection, and most importantly, the community you need to win all your goals. Ever since I started hosting online challenges with tens of thousands of people from around the world, the number one request people sent me was for a private, non-Facebook community where we can all work on our goals together. That's why I created the Guaranteed Goals community on a user-friendly platform where you won't be overwhelmed with endless dance videos, silly reels, and dog memes. Inside this community, in addition to learning my fail-proof formula for achieving goals, you'll get access to a massive course library, check-ins with my team for accountability, the chance to win awesome prizes, 12 VIP Q&A sessions with me, the ability to team up with other members who are working on similar goals as you, and so much more. A year from now, I want you to be thankful for the way you invested in yourself and your goals today. Join me at acuff.me slash goals. That's A-C-U-F-F dot M-E backslash goals. I'll see you there. All right, let's jump into my interview with Maria Gagliano. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm super excited about this. I think this is going to be an amazing conversation. So thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a long time since we hung out. Um, I told the story in the intro that we got to work together on my book do over. I've got a copy right here. I've got pro- I probably have more copies than you do, um, which is I, it's <laughs> fine. I don't I don't know that you have boxes and boxes like I do. I have copies though. Yeah, you have <laughs> copies. You have copies. So the first question I want to start with is how did you get into publishing? So when I crossed paths with you, you were at one of the top publishers in the entire world. Mm-hmm. You were editing amazing books. What was the road for you to that moment? Yeah. So I got into the publishing industry a long time ago. And um, let me think. My first internship was in 2004. Okay. So kind of classic English major in college. I was always a book nerd always wanted Mm -hmm. to work with books somehow. So when I graduated, 
I was trying to break in to get an internship or something. And it was so hard, as I know, you know, everyone experiences how hard it is to um, try to get an internship. So I remember I started cold calling um, small publishers and literary agencies that just weren't like mega corporate places that had lots of gatekeepers and like, you know. So at first I was calling and asking if anybody had internships and everyone said no, or, you know, go to the website, whatever. And then I changed my my dialogue and well I changed my wording and I started calling people and asking if they were willing to take volunteers which is the same thing because I wasn't willing I mean I wasn't expecting to get paid it was 2004 I was like happy to have the unpaid internship um and like my first call to an agency they were like yeah sure come in and open the mail so that was my first foot in the door I was making Starbucks runs and opening mail and um just you know was working with literary agents and they were mentoring me and I was just learning how to, I just learning everything about publishing there. Um, learning. Where did you go to college? I went to Rutgers in New Jersey. Rutgers. Okay. How many, how many people do you, or how many, um, cold calls do you think you did before you changed the wording? Like, was it that you were like six in and you're like, Ooh, this is not working or like how many, what was that process like? probably like 10 to 15. And I was like, this just isn't working. So what can I do? Because as soon as somebody heard the word internship, they I would just immediately get cut off. They were like, yeah. oh, go to the website. Nope, we're not hiring or whatever. And then as soon as I said volunteer, they were like, oh yeah, like someone to go get our coffee. Sure. Um, yeah. So it was pretty quick. And then, um, and ser- I think the first call I made where I said volunteer instead of intern, um, they brought me in, which was really... Um, serendipitous because it was an amazing amazing agency um at the time they've changed their name since but at the time they were distal and goddard literary management and a lot of the the agents there like continued to be um colleagues and mentors over the Mm -hmm. years so just it was a really great place and so fast forward a bit i was interning there and one of the agents heard about an opening for an editorial assistant at random house at the time she recommended that I apply and she, she referred me So at that point I had been there for about six months. So I had like built trust and showed my work Mm -hmm. ethic and just really showed them that I was a true book geek. And I was like, you know, here for it. So I applied to that job and I, and I got it. And that was the beginning. So I was an editorial assistant at Random House for two years, uh, mainly always working on nonfiction, but there uh, I was at a, an imprint called Clarkson Potter, which is still there and which I still love. Um, and they focus on lifestyle books. So it's uh, like cookbooks, home decor, mm-hmm. um, you know, they were called coffee. I don't know if they're still called coffee table books, but basically, you know, like f- fully illustrated, like prescriptive nonfiction. Was it, so you do that for a couple of years mm-hmm. is the next step. You are a junior editor. Like what is that? Your editorial assistant. How do you start climbing the ladder to, it's you and Simon Sinek and you and he's just done start with why. And you now it's the next, it's the follow-up book to the book. So what, mm-hmm. what are the steps in between there? So it's a lot. Um, let me think about that because, you know, I want to say a lot has changed. Um, maybe I, I have to, I have to admit, I, I haven't actually been in house like mm-hmm. in corporate publishing since 2015. I went, I let, and you know, we can talk about that. I left in 2015 and, you know, this is the early mid two thousands where I don't know, it was just, it was a long time ago. Things change. Um, but kind of a bit of a standard corporate story though, you know, like lots of just, you know, doing your job and then also doing the job that you hope to get later. Mm -hmm. So what that looks like in publishing, 
where at least in 20, in 2004, what that looked like in publishing was, um, you know, I was an assistant to two senior editors and you just do that for a long time. You know, I did that for about a year and I just learned how book publishing worked. There was just so much to learn. I remember I started in June, um, and we get a week off for Christmas and just like collapsing by like how exhausting it was and like how much I had learned in six months. And just, um, so, you know, you spend at least a year just learning how publishing works and it's not very intuitive. And it's just like this crazy bubble of a world. Um, and then really what the path is in publishing, at least in the editorial department is you need to start acquiring. Right. And like that, like I acquired your book many years later, right, John. So, um, and that's the process of literary agents submit um, book proposals to the editors. And um, you have to, if, if you think that a proposal you received has has potential, you bring it to your editorial meeting, you pitch it to the editorial board, and you, know, you try to get them on board. And it's a whole process of um, trying to convince everybody that this is a book worth buying and you know, putting our energy and power into. Um, so you're assisting people and then you're also trying to acquire. That's always like the junior editors, big like mountains to climb is trying to acquire books. And it's hard when you're younger because, you know, the great agents with the great projects want to send those projects to senior editors. So um, a huge, huge part of, of growing is mentorship. Like it's just so important to have like bosses who are willing to mentor you and just trust you and, and teach you. Um, that's what, that was a, a huge thing. So, so often what happens is agents will, you know, an agent might send a great proposal to a senior editor and they'll say like, you know what, I actually know this junior editor who would be perfect for this. Like they're, they're growing their list. Like you should have them check this out, that sort of thing. So you, you mentioned something interesting. Um, you get proposals from people and you're looking for potential. So I think a lot of years, because there's a lot of people listening to this podcast that want to write a book. I would say it's probably one of the most common goals I bump into. Okay. Very rarely do I meet someone that's like, I want to write an album. Like, But I think there's this human part yeah. of us that goes, I think I might have a book in me, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. What What are you looking for? You get five, 10, 100 proposals across your desk. What are the like the flags, the markers, the neon signs of? Oh wait, there could be some potential here. Like, how do I? How does somebody stand out? What What does the potential look like? Yes, that is such a great question. So, as you can imagine, there's a lot to it. Um, and it, and you know, it, the answer really depends on the kind of book. So, let me ask you. Actually, do you have a sense of, um, like what kinds of books people are trying to write? Yeah, so I would say nonfiction, business, and historical erotica. No, I'm just joking. Um, I think it's not like I think. Let's do nonfiction. Let's non do okay. non <laughs> because it really depends. And I will say, like for the yeah. types of book you write, books that you write, John, um, and for no, practical nonfiction in particular, yeah. um, there are two very distinct pieces. Um, one of them is platform, which you know, you know, I'm sure there's a lot to say about platform, yeah. um, and the other is the actual. Well, I'll say there's three things. There's platform, there's mm -hmm. the idea itself, and then there's the execution. Um, so, and you know, you tell me how much we should talk about platform because we can carry it. We can write a whole pod, do a whole podcast series on sure. it. Um, but, but in a nutshell, it's, you know, the author's ability to um, sell books on their own, frankly. So, and how, how would they do that? Like, um, 
how much of an audience do they have? How many potential readers Mm -hmm. can they reach? Um, And a big question too is, you know, they could have a huge reach, for example, a huge social media following. Um, But how do those numbers translate to book buyers? Yeah, like Um, YouTube, you could have 50 million YouTube subscribers, but they like your funny videos about gardening. They're not going to try to buy a book. And I've seen publishers go, we don't assume it's a one-to-one. Like we know that's not, yeah. And that's something that's really changed. I have to say, you know, like when Twitter was newer, of course, Mm -hmm. you know, like I remember there were days, yeah, there were days where when I remember, um, you could say this person has 50,000 Twitter followers and like that meant something. And I think it meant Mm -hmm. something mainly because we didn't really understand the data as much back then that like those numbers actually don't always translate to book sales. So, um, so in a book proposal in particular, it's important that, um, not only the author shows that they have the ability to reach readers, but there's, there's some sort of proof that they can, Mm -hmm. right. Or like some sort of meaningful data that shows like, this is not just, you know, people who love my jokes when really I'm writing a gardening book or, or, or whatever, you know? Um, so that's one and we'll, we'll, we'll jump back on platform a yeah, little bit, but exactly. the idea, so you're saying it's a unique, like, what is an idea that jumps off the page to you? Like what kind of qualities? Cause I think some people hear this and go, well, I don't have a platform. I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Cause I yeah. think sometimes publishers want to see you're working on it. Like there's the right. attitude of like, it's your job to sell the book. I write it like that died in like 1942, mm-hmm. but like, mm-hmm. What what jumps off the page to you as far as an, this idea is strong? There's something here. I could see, I would put my name on it. I'll send it up the yeah. ladder to the people I report to. Like, that's yeah. how much I like it. What do those ideas have in common sometimes? Yeah. So a big thing is um, really just what value is the book offering readers? I feel like that's a really, a really, like, just very universal question, like what value is this book Mm -hmm. offering? So, and there's lots of ways, of course, that that can uh, manifest. So, but really like, what is it offering? What, like a big thing that I'm always looking at um, is what is the problem that the reader, I mean, that the, that the author is addressing, like the problem that Mm -hmm. readers have and what is the promise that they're offering, right? Because that's like, when it comes to nonfiction, practical nonfiction in particular, right? Like self-improvement, all that stuff. Um, people are going to pick up the book because they have a problem that they want to solve. You know, like I want to achieve a big goal or whatever it is. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the author is providing a solution. They hope that by the time they're done reading this book, they will be better somehow. Right. Like they're mm-hmm. going to whatever it is, they're going to have a different outlook. They're going to have different tools, whatever it is. So, um, so at a very basic level, there is the problem and there is the promise. Um, and then, how, you know, how universal is that problem? And how, how is, you know, there, there's questions of like market saturation, like, are there already a bunch of books about this? And even if there are, does this book offer something that others haven't? Um, You know, there has to be, it's, it's interesting, because also, like, when it comes to the idea, right, in publishing, there's this, there's this whole part of the process of the acquisitions process and sales process called comp titles, right? They're comparative titles and they're books. And it's this funny balance because as the editor, when you're pitching a book to the higher ups and trying to convince them, what you're trying to do is say like, Hey, I think this book is going to sell because it's a lot like these other books, but Mm -hmm. it's all, and like these books sold well, it's a lot like these other books that sold very well. So I'm confident we will sell it. 
because these it's like these, but it's also different from these so mm-hmm. that people who bought those books will also be willing to buy this book because there's something new here. My um, favorite example is uh, Atomic Habits. So Charles Duhigg did The Power of Habit, mm-hmm. sold a lot of copies. And so they, you know, they knew, okay, habits, like there's a habit momentum, exactly. but no, like that gave evidence, but James Clear was different enough that it went off in its own separate rocket ride. Like, I think that's Completely. such an interesting, they didn't right. say, well, that's, there's, we already have a habit book in the market, so we're not gonna, like there was plenty of room. And then his interpretation and vision of it was so different that you really saw like that book just take off. Completely. I thought that was interesting. So there's yes. a, so there's that, how is execution different from the idea? Is it that they, the idea, the promise, the pain, the potential is there, and then they execute it in a way that's that's fresh, that's different, or they have the writing chops to execute it in a way? Like they, it's not just a, one idea, but it's a whole thread of a book that's there. What does execution look like to you? Yeah, so there's one, one thing that I always think about is um, we can kind of say, I mean, like one can argue with this, but in a way, like every story has already been told before. Right. And it's just, and like, we're kind of retelling the same stories again and again, it's just how you tell it, right. Like what you bring to it. So um, it's a lot of things. So, but it's, it's the voice, it's how relatable they are. um, How good is the writing, all of that. Um, And then also, are they able to sustain the writing over the course of a long narrative? Right. Mm -hmm. Because there's, there's so many people, thought leaders, especially who their main, their main forum is um, it's short, it's short form writing, right? Like whether yeah. they're on Instagram or blogging or newsletters, um, they they don't have the experience of actually writing a whole book, and and you learn the hard way that it's actually quite different, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you yeah. know about this, yeah, right? Yeah, it's very. Di- I find it very difficult, and I've re- I'm on book nine comes out this fall. And I'm still like, man, this is challenging. This is hard. This is hard it's to so do. It's so different. Like even if you've yeah. written thousands of of pages worth of short form content, that does not, you know, equate to no. thousands of pages worth of. But it's just a different craft, right? So are they able to sustain this over the the course of a lo- of a narrative, a book life narrative, that sort of thing? So. Um, so a lot of his storytelling, um, the ability to kind of speak to readers, that's another thing too, is um, again, what, especially the kinds of books you're writing, right? Like practical nonfiction um, that I imagine like a lot of your listeners may be writing something along those lines, right? Um, how are you connecting with readers, right? It's finding that balance between putting yourself into the narrative and talking about your experience research and then also having a blend of like offer offering advice and how is that all you know you you have all these different factors in the narrative how do they work together to create something really engaging and useful well one way that you helped me with that um there's there's a number of things that i remember specifically um but you used to say to me in the edits how is this related to a do-over so we had a core concept and i would go off track and just tell a story (laughs) And that was one of the ways that you as an editor brought me back to, okay, how does this serve a reader? How does this, how does this address the problem? Cause mm-hmm. I would, and if it wasn't a strong enough connection, you would be like, it doesn't belong in the book because it do, it's not serving the narrative. It's not serving the reader. Another thing you taught me was I told this really long story about a rat that I thought was very funny. I remember that story. And you were like, what does this have? It's like, you were like, it's a fun story. It's, it's funny. 
I don't understand what this has to do with the point you're trying to make. And you were 100% right. And I always think about that when I write humor now is like, is it amplifying the main point or is it a separate point that's just fun for me to do the gymnastics on, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. really serve anything. What are other things that as you look at writers are kind of like, what's in your Maria handbook of like, oh, here's a thing I see a lot and I try to correct it. Or here's a way I try to come along and go, Hey, you said this five ways. It needs to be said in three ways. Or, hey, there's, you know, where, where are some common mistakes or common patterns you try to fix with you, the way you look at writing? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, you're reminding me of something related to that point in the manuscript, John, um, with the, with the, the rat in the garage story. Yeah. 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 That's what it was. Yeah. yeah that's so funny <laughs> that you remember it. And it's been a long time. Um, so I mentioned mentorship before, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I'll, I'm going to, this all ties together, I promise. Um, so one of my biggest mentors in publishing was um, when I was at Portfolio, where we worked mm-hmm. together, the publisher there, Adrian Zachheim. He mm-hmm. He's sort of a man of few words, but had like, he has some great insight. And I remember going into his office a few times just for he was he was just like amazing about open door come in like no question is 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 too small that sort of thing even though he was a publisher um and I was really struggling with the manuscript and he just flipped through it and I'll never forget this he flipped through the manuscript and um there's just the author was really struggling to get to the point like the point of the book wasn't like until way later kind of similar to the route in the garage story mm-hmm. um and he was like, here's the problem with this manuscript. Too much throat clearing. And I was like, what? <laughs> oh, come on. Like, too much throat clearing. Just get to it. Like, he's just like, like the first 50 pages of this manuscript yeah. is, is the author just preparing to tell you what he wants to tell you. And we're not talking about your book, though. Yeah. Um, There's a different one. And I, I just too much, too much throat clearing. I will never forget that. Um, and it's true. So this is a common thing that I feel like authors struggle with. Um, just struggling to even like understand what they are trying to say. And it's interesting mm-hmm. because a lot of times um, I do a lot of consulting with authors where they are writing the book, but I'm coaching them on how yeah. to write their best possible book. And they'll have, you know, pages and pages where they're really struggling to get the idea down. But we're on a call like this, um, you know, a Zoom or whatever. And they're like, well, what I really wanted to, what I'm really trying to say here is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, okay, I'm glad we're recording because say that, like write mm-hmm. that because that's what you're like. You can actually say it that directly. Um, so I think a lot of times it's just kind of like clearing the weeds and figuring out like, what is that you're really trying to offer readers? What are you really trying to say? Um, is, is one thing. I think that we're afraid we won't have wor- enough words. So yes. you like, there's the fear of if I put this, chapter on a diet what if I don't have other great ideas or other great words and I think the greats are their words say a lot and a little so I I, it always reminds me I I had dinner um, with this comedian Nate Bargatze and a couple other people and he told this story that was hilarious and he probably told it in three minutes at dinner and then when I saw it in his special it was about 30 seconds long and that Um. was where I went oh he stripped that entire thing until it was concentrated and powerful and didn't need where some other comedians that are younger might have taken four minutes and there would have been a lot of stuff and a lot of throat clearing. And so, but <laughs> I think that I think that's the fear of an author is 
what if I trim it down to this most important, but then I have to do another chapter, another chapter, another chapter. And you go like, what if I don't have the ideas there? So I love hearing that, that throat, the throat um, clearing. That's, that's really fascinating to me. So you're at portfolio. We got to work together. It was fantastic. Um, You sent me one of my, I think it was you, or it was either you or Will, uh, might've been Will uh, Weiser. Is that, that his name, right? Yeah. Will? sent me one of my favorite emails I've ever received in publishing with Seth Godin's endorsement. And y'all were so casual about it. You're like, hey, Seth sent his endorsement. It's pretty good. Maybe mm-hmm. it was Adrian. And it was, this is the best career book ever written. And y'all acted like, oh, that's cool that <laughs> Seth liked it. Like, and I, was, I ran around the house like a crazy person. Oh, that's sweet. So you're there for a bunch of years and then you decide, okay, I want to, I'm going to do something different. Like I'm going to mm-hmm. make a brave decision. There's a lot of people. So some people on here are taking notes on the publishing. Some people are going to take notes on the, like you make brave decisions. So your life mm-hmm. changes in 2015 um, is mm-hmm. I believe when you change your life. Walk yeah. us through that, that um, process a little bit. Yeah. So it was a, there are, there are a few things, you know, we all have our lives change and we try to figure out how to make our career and our life work together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that, so as, as much as I really cherished my time there, and I really did, like I, I, I told that one story about Adrian, but honestly, like Portfolio is such an incredible place to work. I'm still in touch with everyone there. Um, I just loved it there and it was very hard to leave. Um, yeah. But I also just... Um, Working in a corporate office just wasn't working for me anymore. I had a small, small child at the time. I was commuting from New Jersey. It was just a lot. Um, and I, I also have always been more of an entrepreneur at heart. Well, if you're doing cold calls and you're changing the language <laughs> based on the cold call rec- recept, like that's such an entrepreneur move. Like I, that's why I love that. That's and you funny. said it casually, like that's a, that's somebody who does the work. Like, that's why I was like, oh man, that's so great. I love that. Yeah. So that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. So but, you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, I never made that connection. So, and the, so I, I knew I needed a change just in terms of the structure of how I worked. And the other part too, like I've talked, I've talked quite a bit already about, you know, acquisitions and there are other parts to book publishing too, you know, like it's a whole big picture. Um, there's also packaging, there's, you know, book cover design and, um, titling. And, um, I've always known that like my favorite part of book, of the book publishing process is working with the manuscript. Like I've, you know, like, and I remember I would think we would be in cover meetings and I just or titling meetings. And it was just so much more painful for me than, um, than like the worst possible manuscript. Like, like Mm -hmm. give me a manuscript that's like just complete word vomit and 300 words. And like, I will turn that into something amazing. Like I will work with Mm -hmm. you and we will make it great, but put me in a room and like, ask me to come up with a brilliant title for a book or like, you know, tell me what the cover design to be will be. And like, I, I'm not your girl. Uh, so like, give me we a- had a lot of cover design meetings for do over that we went through it. We had like 50 different options, I think. Yeah, we did. And that's, yes, that was a, di- yes. And yes, it's a journey as you know. Um, so with that in mind, knowing that like working with authors is my favorite thing. Um, I just decided, I decided before 2015 that eventually I wanted to just go freelance and just work with the authors on the part of the process that is my favorite, mm-hmm. which is the actual content creation. So um, it was very scary. Um, I, you know, and it's also, it was also hard to kind of create a side hustle while I was working because it was the same job and it was conflict of interest, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so 
Oh, but what I did do was I told Adrian, that boss I had mentioned, um, that I was that I was planning to leave. Like, so there was so much trust at trust there. Like at most jobs, you're like, okay, two weeks notice, shaking in my boots. Um, I left in December, but I think I told Adrian in like July that I wanted to leave. Oh wow. That's yeah, amazing. And he, or that I was planning to leave and that that was my my and so um it, it allowed me to kind of like start taking on freelance projects or at least lining them up a little bit so that by the time I left, I wasn't just jumping off a cliff. I had some runway. Yeah. That, and that's, that's such a testament to both of y'all that you were, you had performed so well that you could tell him in July and he kept you till December and you trusted him enough that you could tell him in July yes. and didn't think you'd be walked that afternoon. Right. You know, like that's, that's, that's really, that's really interesting. So you had a couple things lined up and I, I always, and that's funny. We talk about that in do over, like having, you know, the, the cliff mentality of like, sometimes you have to jump off the cliff and grow wings on, as you fall down. It's like, that's never how gravity works. Like that's a mm-hmm. terrible, that's a terrible plan. It's good to have runway. So you go off on your own, you make this brave decision and you start working with authors, um, doing your favorite part of it. I'm curious, how do you manage the artistic side of working with authors? I'm always fascinated that, an editor has to be like, they almost have to wear a counseling hat because you're people like people are sending you their baby and they're like, Hey, is my baby ugly? And you have to be like, it's not beautiful now, but it has right. beauty inside it. And together we will find like yeah. that's and they're and we're moody and like deadlines. And so how do you, there's, you know, somebody's listening to this right now. That's going to say, okay, I've got to, I'm going to work with an editor what are some signs of a good editor author relationship? Is it that we have trust because we've done a couple laps? Is it that mm-hmm. you know how to give like whether I like hard feedback or soft feedback and you give me that, you know, like the egos, all of it, it's an art and a science. How do you yeah. approach that? Um, you've hit some great points. I am amazed by how much working as a, a collaborator, whether I'm doing a full ghostwrite or coaching as the author writes their own, I'm amazed by how much the role is similar to that of a therapist. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so trust is a really big thing. I think trust and chemistry are the two most important things up front. Mm-hmm. So you need to feel that. So as an author, it's so important that you feel your editor gets what you're trying to do. Um, so, and part of that is understanding what you're trying to achieve with the book and also that the editor understands who your audience is and and who you're trying to reach and how you're trying to reach them. Um, so there's, there are, there are a lot of factors. What can I, what can I zero in on for you? I'm trying to think. Well, okay. So I think you could zero in on, I'm going to work with an editor. I'm a new author. How should I expect that relationship? Because I remember the first time I worked with a literary agent, I thought we'd be best friends and like we'd be mm-hmm. talking all the time and like we'd be throwing baseball in the backyard. And like, I just had, I didn't understand how the relationship worked. Mm-hmm. So I think if I'm a new author and I don't understand how the relationship works with an editor, what does a healthy relationship look like? Does it, we have a couple meet, we have a couple phone calls and we form a relationship and then I send you a chunk and then you send me feedback. Like what does a normal working relationship look like with a, between an author and an editor? Yeah. You know, let me, um, I want to make a distinction between and like, say you have a book deal and you're working with mm-hmm. an editor in house versus you are hiring an editor to help you 
improve a manuscript. Like you, you've hired sure. a freelance editor. Yeah, give us both sides because I think there mm-hmm. will. I think the, the, there'll be people that are in both camps. Yes. Um, and it's pretty similar. I mean, it's a creative working relationship. So, um, I would say with a freelance editor, I like, you have more freedom to give them like that ugly newborn because like you're there, (laughs) you know, they are there to really help you just like get you to a place where you then, if you're going to go to the traditional publishing route, where you will then give that like much more polished draft to your in-house editor. Because the thing about working with an in-house editor, as as you know, is you're on a, a schedule, right? So mm-hmm. you have a deadline. If your deadline is September 1st, maybe the editor's deadline to get the final manuscript into copy editing is January 1st, for example. There is a finite window of time during which you, you're working together. Um, so it's very focused. Um, it's so important that you send them your absolute best possible manuscript that you can with the understanding that there is going to be, um, there's going to be some back and forth. There's going to be editing. It's mm-hmm. not the manuscript that's going to the printer, but like, you know, you need to send them the best thing you can because there's a, there's a finite amount of time where we can work together to get it better. Um, working with the freelance editor, you have more flexibility. It just depends on when in the process you're bringing them in and what your timeline looks like. A lot of people self-publish, so they're on their own timeline, but even then they're mm-hmm. trying to, you know, coincide with the launch of a product or, or whatever it is, but you have more control over, um, how much time you work with them because you can decide how early into the process you want to bring them. Um, but <laughs> to go back to your point about like, you know, you're not really sure how the relationship would go. Um, Again, you know, there's, it's tricky because there's such a spectrum of support and it depends, like, and again, like that's for, I'm talking specifically about a freelance editor. And I think you'll have more people, probably more listeners who might be working with a freelance editor because by the, you know, it's just a smaller group that's going to have, you know, working in with the book deal. Um, There is a huge spectrum of support that you can bring someone in for. Um, You may have a manuscript that you've already drafted, Right. And you want somebody mm. to help you take it to the next level. Maybe you're going to you're gonna start pitching agents or publishers. Um, and you know it needs to be better, but you need someone to help you uncover the blind spots versus you're very early in the process. You want someone to even help you develop the idea. Like, you mm. you know, like you have all of these different projects or, you know, just everyone is, is at a different place in terms of how to develop their ideas, what book they want to work on, um, what the book should be. Some people... Just know for sure, this is the book that I want to write. Others are very open and it depends on like what they think the market would be more drawn to. So, mm-hmm. and you can bring someone in at different times, right? Like you can bring someone in to help you with idea development. You can bring someone in to help you with the writing, whatever the case is. Um, and I, I want to say like probably the earlier you bring them in, the more of a therapist <laughs> type person yeah. they will be because they're yeah. helping you figure yourself out, you know, mm-hmm. a bit. So... I don't know that you would ever be necessary. I don't know necessarily. Um, I don't know throwing baseball in the no, in not the no. I don't think it's. Um, I just. I'm just trying to. I just remember it was helpful for me to do a couple laps with editors before I understood it. And I think this information yeah. is helpful to go. Oh, that's right. It, there's different. If I'm in house, if I'm um, hiring freelance, what the needs are, how how intense I want the feedback. Chemistry, I think, is is really interesting to think about. Can you remember a moment um, 
when you read something at your job with, with portfolio that you were like, oh, okay, this is going to be a thing or, oh, like, did you have moments like that in manuscripts where, or maybe like, let's say you're picking through the piles of possibility, um, which would be an amazing podcast title about, <laughs> about second chances. Um, but where you read something and were like, oh, okay, I'm going to, like, was it like, you know, girl boss where you're like, oh, okay, this is, I could see this is the right moment. What's something mm-hmm. like that with a book where you felt like you caught something? Yeah, you know, Girl Boss does come to mind. I can't take credit for like finding that one in the pile because it came through. Um, that was a really weird one where it was like two imprints published it together. Um, but it came through Putnam, which is the other Penguin imprint, and it came, it came into portfolio. And I remember um, it was one of those moments where um, the publisher again to bring Adrian in again, but he was the publisher and he was like, we have mm-hmm. this proposal for girl boss. And, um, you know, he, expl- he explained what it was and he was like, is anybody interested? And I, again, I guess like the entrepreneur in me was like, um, hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and for that one, a really big, a really big part of that was voice. Um, mm-hmm. it was so personal, but also really speaking to, um, uh, again, I always like get get hung up on the pain point. Like, and I felt that way with do over also, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a similar experience where they're like, this proposal came in. It didn't come into me. It did not land in my inbox where I was like, hey guys, I have this thing. It was brought up in the meeting as it came in through, you know, like a lot of times agents just send to the publisher and then they want mm-hmm. the publisher to say, like, figure out which editor is the best for this. Um, and what really stood out to me is like, wow, this is a this is something that so many people struggle with and it's universal, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, and people don't know what to do. Like there's this, it's this, you know, it's this sort of pain point where um, so many people struggle with it. And it's, it's not only is it relatable, but like we're all a mess when it comes to this (laughs) stuff. Like, you know, like help us, like tell us what to do or help us with the strategy. So um, I, the, the ones that really make me jump out of my seat are the ones that are so relatable and also that just like punch us in the gut in terms of like the problem that the author is addressing and that they're also helping us to overcome. Um, those are the I, ones that make me very excited. And I, I love no, go that. I, no, go ahead. Um, one of my very early acquisitions was at, um, before portfolio, I was at Penguin. I was at Penguin before portfolio there. Were, I worked at another imprint, um, that's, since merged into others called Perigee. Um, Chris Gilbo is now a huge author. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah. the first book he ever published, it came into me as um, an e- it was, it, this one did land in my inbox. It was like 2008, 2009. Um, gosh, I wish I can remember the title. Oh, it was the title in the proposal was um, How to Live a Remarkable Life in a Conventional World. And it was um, based on an ebook he had distributed for free and it, it went viral. Um, it was just like a huge, I don't know. Did we say in 2008 that things went viral? I'm not sure. I printed it out <laughs> at work, like at, on a work printer. I mean, Amazing. I hate to say that, Ooh. but it was like, and they were big pieces of paper. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, was it, is that the book that turned into the art of nonconformity? Exactly. So it came in as that and, but his blog was the art of nonconformity. And we we're like, hold on a second. Like this, this needs to be the art yeah. of nonconformity. Like this is like, yeah. this is your book, Chris. Um, that I was just very excited about that one too, because that was back when um, 
you know, it was a book for people stuck in jobs that they weren't passionate about, but you had this fire mm-hmm. in you and you just didn't know how to chase it and didn't know what to do about it. And I was like, holy crap, like, this is it. Like, let's yeah. do this book. You know, yeah. that's, you know, again, like universal problem, don't know what to do about it. Like, help. I I love that. And I did. I remember that. I read that book. I'm a, I'm a reader of the books you've done. Um, I think what's interesting, like we mentioned Adrian a couple of times. Was wasn't Adrian? Did he work on Good to Great? Do I have that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, Jim Collins' first book, which is a pretty yeah. good one, to, pretty good feather in the old uh, right. the old cap, if you will, Jim Collins. But I remember something he told me once. We were at lunch, and we saw a Lamborghini that was like the one from Batman, the most recent Batman movie. Mm-hmm. And it was like matte finish, and it was in New York. Like you know, it's going to get banged up. <laughs> and he and he said that car is about that car is is about the delusion of self and others. And I mm-hmm. love that he said the delusion of self because what he was saying was you have to first delude yourself into thinking this will make me feel a certain way forever. This mm-hmm. will be the thing that, and I was like, who sees a Lamborghini? I was like, cool car. It looks like the Batman one. And he was like, delusion funny. of self and others. Can you please say for, uh, for all of time, this will become the clip we use, that it's not good for an author to have as their goal to hit the New York Times bestsellers list. Like that, that's a fun thing if it happens, Ooh, but yeah. that's not a good goal. Can you, no. can you speak to that for a minute? No, that's definitely not a good goal. Um, <clears throat> well, it's amazing because, you know, when it happens, but you don't it control is. it. It's incredible. And there's so many factors that go into whether a book makes the list or not. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. and we can talk about that on and on. Um, yeah. And do over I mean, did I, we, we hit it with do over. So that was yes, great. And that news. was amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things like I'm just going to, I, I won't go carry on about this, but just one basic example is like, what else is publishing that week? Like, I'm sorry, yeah. but if, Fair is publishing the same month or week or season that your yeah. book is. And like Atomic Habits has already been on the list for months and months and months. Like there are only so many spots on the list, right? Like, and then, yeah. I mean, on and on, there, there, there are many things. So um, it's, it's very arbitrary sometimes. Um, and to not make it, I mean, like it's, it's not a testament to whether or not the book deserves it. Right. Um but, you know, I mean, you need to have better reasons to want to write a book than, than to hit the list. Um, yeah, that won't carry you. That reason alone won't carry you through the process of how hard, of how hard it is to write a book. Only two last questions. Um, first one is, what do you see in publishing that's changing right now? Like, what are you seeing that's different that, you know, if I'm an author right now, you've talked a little bit about from when you started to now, but what's changing? What are you seeing on the horizon? If I want to write a book, what's different? What do you see as kind of the future of publishing? Yeah, so a lot has changed in the last couple of decades, even just, you know, like they're just with, I'm going to speak on a very practical level, like just from a numbers perspective, as publishers merge and imprints disappear, there are just fewer slots and fewer opportunities for books to be published traditionally with big publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that creates an exciting opportunity to, for middle and smaller publishers to publish amazing books that just maybe the bigger, the, the corporate houses just don't bid on or for whatever reason. Um, so I think that that's an interesting shift that there's just the bit, the bigger publishers are getting big, bigger and there's just kind of less room and they're publishing bigger books, right? So, um, and when I say bigger, um, that kind of 
that ties into our, our earlier discussion of platform. Um, it's tricky, you know, like we've all, I feel like it's an, it's, it's a classic conversation, like the whole like art versus commerce thing when it comes to mm -hmm. publishing books, right? Because when you write a book, it's such a work of art and a labor of love and like so much, you know, creative work goes into it. But ultimately a publisher, you know, it's a business and they do yeah. need to feel that they can make a profit off of the book. I mean, like they're in the business of selling books and that's just, it is what it is. I mean, you could hate them or love them for it, but like that is what it is. Mm -hmm. um, especially for nonfiction platform is just like getting more and more important. Like it used, there used to be more room on the list for something where, and I remember like in my earlier days um, that an author could be just starting to grow their platform. And I can make the case where like the writing is incredible. The idea is unique. Mm -hmm. Like it, there's so much value here. The storytelling outstanding, you know, whatever the case is. And I could really push and say like, you know, and there's such a long lead time with publishing too. You know, by the time you sign the book, it's not going to be in readers' hands for at least a year, more like two years. Mm -hmm. I can make the case in the two years, by the time that the book is in publisher is in readers' hands, their their platform will have grown. Like they'll be okay. Like we will, but you it's really hard to do that now. Um, there's just less room for it, which is to say that um it's more important than ever for authors to not try too early. Uh. Um, like you need to be really patient. And work on building your audience and, and not just building the numbers, but like really connecting with them, like having engagement and frankly, having data to show your engagement, right? Like you can't just, it doesn't matter any as much as it used to, to say, like, I have X number of social media followers. Um, newsletters are much, are tend to be more valuable. So going back to um, Atomic Habits, right? Um, James Clear has a very robust newsletter with oh. a very great readership. And that's his platform. Like that is how he connects with readers. And, you know, there's a lot more to all of it, but like, mm. as an example, a newsletter with an engaged readership is, is excellent. Um, and it, you need the patience and the time and just need to put in the sweat of like building your audience and having an engaged audience. And then, pitch like that's that's become yeah. more important than ever i i love i mean it's it's not a word we like but patience is you're right mm -hmm. it's one of those okay if this is going to be something i do for a, a big period of my life then i can hit the publisher now and get an easy no because i don't have the platform or i can take the patience i think that's such a good point last question maria we could talk about this all day because we're both book nerds and this is it's so it's so fun to talk about the, the intricacies of publishing. Where can people find out about you? Because there's definitely going to be people on here that are like, oh, I have a book idea. I want to connect with Maria or I have a project that I'm interested about. Where can people find out more about you? Yeah, so um, just my website, mariagagliano.com. Mm -hmm. I'm not, uh, my social media is just my like, pictures of my kids who don't care about and that. my wife loves you my wife follows you on instagram so she's like oh yeah. tell maria i said hi because she uh, got to know you jenny. and is such a yeah. such a big fan i know um, i love so, jenny yeah. um thank you yeah just mariagagliano.com perfect well i'll refer everybody there maria you've got three young kids so you're super busy but you're helping a ton of authors you helped me you taught me so much about writing books and i'm still oh, using what you amazing. taught me 10 years later it's wild to think it's been yeah, it's been about 10 years since we've known each other. So thank you for making Do Over a really fun project. Oh my and, gosh. Um, acquiring me. So I got to do two books with Portfolio and kind of launching me to the next the next part of my career. So I'm super grateful. I know listeners are going to be grateful for the wisdom you shared today. Um, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, John. 
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We'll have all the notes and the links that you want in the show notes as always. And thank you for checking out Maria and Maria's work. She is fantastic. I'm so honored that I got to talk to her for a little while. You can see why I loved working with her on my book, Do Over. Please keep those reviews coming. Please make sure you subscribe and follow so you don't ever miss another episode. I'll see you next Monday. And remember, all it takes is a goal. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the All It Takes is a Goal podcast and to get access to today's show notes and exclusive content from John Acuff, visit acuff.me slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the All It Takes is a Goal podcast.